Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. Recently, we talked to HR Director Sue Dodlin about how you come to work for the city and why you might want to work for the city. Today, we're going to start a new series actually talking to employees about their experience here with the city. We have with us today Anne Legere, who is the Deputy Finance Director, and Colleen Bissett, who is the Executive Assistant to the City Manager, both of whom have been here for about 20-plus years. We're going to learn what it's like to work for the city that long and why they've stuck around. Hello, ladies. How are you? Doing good, Chris. How are you? Good. Wonderful. We are going to talk to each other about what it's like to work here and to start that conversation. If one of you wants to tell the listener who you are, I gave your title, but is that really what you think you do here? I will say, I'll preface that by saying, in my mind, while my title is deputy city manager, the two of you are probably really the deputy city managers because everything in the organization goes through one of your desks, it seems, if it wants to be successful here in the uh, the operations. So... With that lead in, and tell us a little bit about yourself. I am the Deputy Finance Director. I started working for the City of Dover in Ju- on June 1st in 1998, so a little over 25 years. I was hired by Jeff Harrington, our previous Finance Director. He called me in for an interview, and I came in and accepted. I started as the Accounts Payable Clerk, moved up to Junior Finance Accounting, then to City Clerk Tax Collector, from there, I went to the purchasing department and now the uh, deputy finance director. How about yourself, Colin? What do you want to tell people? I started here in September of 1998 after being home with my two children for a few years. I was hired by Mr. Beecher and actually the city manager now, Michael, was the assistant city manager. So I worked for both of them. I'm going on 25 years. Um, I've loved my job the whole time. I love coming into work. Uh, City Hall feels like home. You know, your your ups and downs. They, you know, some days you don't want to come in, but for the most part, I, I really do love my job and the people I work with. Interesting tidbits about both of you. Mm-hmm. And you said you started June 1st, 1998. I always count June 3rd, 97 as my start date because that's when I started as an intern. So we both have early June. We just... Uh, starting into that next year for both of us. And Colleen, you and I were in the orientation together in 98, because by then I had become a full-time employee. That's when I say that you and I was. Yeah, you were my first best friend here. (laughs) You've both seen a lot of change. The easy ones that I point out to myself or to other people are the the amount of electronic elements that we deal with. I got to think in finance, Anne, that's been a huge difference. I I remember doing field purchase orders and everything was written out. Everyone was probably actually better at doing those things or more accountable. But uh, I'm curious what your take on what what that change has brought to the finance world. Absolutely. The automation and technology that have changed over the years is phenomenal. It's so much quicker, easier. Yeah, it was all paper. I remember we had the three form purchase orders. It was one for me, one for the department and one for the vendor. It was crazy. It's what a change. It's been great. And Colleen, what's your what changes do you think exemplify the past twenty five years? Um, I was thinking about this question. Um, a lot has changed, but a lot has stayed the same in many ways. 
Technology is huge. When I first came here, they just started opening email up. Looking back, the first years I were I was here, there were so many phone calls compared to there compared to now because people just want the the email. You can move on to something else. It's so much easier. And as far as uh, software things like that, um, you know, they started using Word more, things like that. That made it easy. Yeah, it's really it's we've come far. You know, it, it's staggering to think. And the, the three of us are not necessarily the same age, but we're close enough that we can all think of the typewriter as an integral part of life. The typewriter is not even a thing. No, I, mean, I don't think we could do find we, one. Do we even have any, And I think there is one in finance, but it hasn't been used in many years. We used to have a contract for a, blank, yeah. for a maintenance person to come and check our typewriters. That was gone years and years and years ago. And you think about, Colleen, you mentioned things that have stayed the same, things that have changed. In my mind, one of those things is the copier. Copiers have already always been large. That's true. But yep. now that one large copier is a multifunction piece of equipment and it doesn't just copy. Scans. It scans. It's emails. color. Yep. It emails. It files things. It's it's such a different automation you talked about, Ann, but it's actually a different automation that that's a productivity enhancement <laughs> element. The one you said, Colleen, about the phone calls going down, <laughs> I wonder if that's an enhancement or not. It's great that people probably aren't calling because they're getting information online or otherwise, but you lose that personal connection of having those people call you and, and communicate uh -huh. their concerns as opposed to sitting behind a computer. And, and it's not just the phone calls, it's the walk-in traffic, too. I hardly have any walk-in traffic besides internal um, compared to the way it used to be. It used to be a very, very busy office. Granted, I had two bosses to do things for, and I only have the one now. Well, Aunt Christopher. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, I just went to the bottom of the pecking order, which is probably true and realistic for me. And from a bid standpoint, how has electronic changed the way that we procure things? So we've been behind a little bit in the technology, and we're quickly getting up to date. We're looking at new programs for accepting bids in. We solicit bids electronically through Constant Contact and have for many years. We just don't have a, a system that will allow us to get bids back electronically other than email. Email's not great for that because if it goes to junk or you miss it, you, you've missed out on a bid. But this new program that we're looking to get up and running soon will allow vendors to supply their bids electronically and it makes you, you, you set it up so that whatever you want, a bid bond, a insurance certificate, anything you want with the bid, you have it there and they can't submit it without sending something. So that'll, that'll be great. You know, one of the things that, that strikes me that has changed as well is the general work environment. The three of us can remember when there was asbestos tile that we all walked around on and there was a lot more cramped space. I think our, our efforts to improve the employee experience in the workspace has improved. More ergonomic equipment and furniture, and you've got waiting chairs for people to wait to get yelled at for doing things wrong. Maybe that's just me. Uh, only you, but only me. But am I right? Is, is the work environment itself improved or changed at least? I think our focus just along that line has changed with the growth of, you know, everyone's thinking about sustainability and making things better. Things 
like that weren't thought of back in, you know, when we started here in 98. So I don't know if it's just our place of employment or I think it's just everyone's, you know, the, the whole thinking is different. I'm curious. One of the things I've seen, too, is that our need for record retention has dramatically changed. And that's one of the ways reasons we, we have more space to spread the employees out. It's not like we've doubled city hall size or anything, but where filing cabinets needed to be, now we can have space for people or for equipment or workflow because all of that's getting scanned and if it's even produced in paper anymore. Yeah. And the finance department has a division on every floor at City Hall. We have the purchasing and counting city clerk, tax collector, water sewer billing, and assessing office. So there's a division on every floor at City Hall. We've shuffled around a lot over the years, but I think we've found a great place now after the, the pretty large renovation at City Hall. And we found great space for ourselves. And I think everybody's got room to move now and keep their records what they need next to them. One of the things that I noticed, and, and it gets back and to your... Uh, updating the bid process is the auction process. The getting rid of surplus things has changed dramatically too. You use a, a website, right? Yeah. For that. Now. We use GovDeals for that and huge improvement in money raised as more exposure. We would do the auctions in person every August, third or second week of August at the salt shed in public uh, community services department. And it was, it was horrible. I mean, you get a few of the regulars, and it was great. We got rid of things, but um, the online auction, definitely a lot more money is raised just from the exposure of getting. I remember buying money. a bike for my son at the auction one year because it was like, it's a great place to get that sort of thing. And that, over the few, last few years, we've still done in person because on a bike, you want to kick the tires. Yeah, you want to exactly. see it. and want to make sure that the height works. Yeah. And a lot of the, we always let the kids bid first. And then once everyone got one bike, we would open it up to the adults. And yeah, that was a great program. And we still do that. Good. Good. So what have you two seen change in the type of employee that we have, the age demographic? You know, you, you've seen changes in your coworkers besides yourselves. And uh, I'm curious what sort of employee you encountered 25 years ago and, and have that has that changed? I see we, we don't have a whole lot of turnover in the finance. Uh, and I'm talking finance and purchasing, accounting, that division, not the others. People start in finance and they pretty much stay there. Um, we've had a few new folks come in. We hired a new treasurer years back. And this we've hired a new sec- executive secretary. And she's she's awesome. She's don't want to see all the paper. She's very... Colleen probably, it's, called, it's the resiliency that you talked about, I think. It's it's the, uh, what I, I, I see that same sort of thing in, in some of our younger employees and they're, they're like, why create this that we then have to deal with later on? Right, right. Yeah, I noticed um, the newer employees that have come in who are younger, they've just got this, they can think outside the box, you know, where we've been here for so long, we tend to do things I know I tend to do things the way they've always been done, but I'm also looking for other ways to save time and and things like that. But the planning department, who I'm thinking of, is just phenomenal in their, you know, outreach. And yeah, it's great. 
Yeah, I, I like that you glossed over that the new people are the age we were when we started. <laughs> yeah, we used to be the babies, not so much anymore. <laughs> and I think that it's important to know, while you say that you do things the, the same way you've always done them, I think that might be your starting point. But I don't think anyone in the organization is anti-innovation. Right, I think, no. I think that's one of the things that I like about the new people is they help keep those of us that have been more seasoned thinking fresh and thinking new. Yes, definitely. And I, I think some of the the changes that we've seen in the purchasing process and in finance are because, yes, you've had some people that have been here for a long time, you, Dan, Kevin, uh, that know how things flow. But some of those other influences are making you think, yeah, we could change. We could do these other things. We just need to make sure they fit the rules and parameters of the accounting process. Right, right. And then the in the record retention programs are, you don't need these files that are three inches thick sitting in cabinets that will never be opened again, probably. Right. So it's, yeah, everything is electronic and it's right at your fingertips. And they the new folks remind us that you don't really need to keep a copy of that contract six different places. <laughs> right. If it's in the electronic filing cabinet, that's good. Yeah. Right. And that also makes it so much better for transparency when the public can come in and look for that information without having to wait on the phone or come into the office. And so I think that's helped in that area too. So what keeps it interesting for you? Why are you still here? How dare you still be here? (laughs) For me, it's, um, I've always had a boss that encouraged me to learn new things, do new things. And I've changed a lot of jobs, always in finance, but a lot. So I know a lot of different positions in the department. Biggest one, and maybe the most challenging one is more recent, is the taking on of grants. I've um, been part of about $20 million in grants over the last three or four years since COVID struck. And that's that's kept my mind fresh. It's, it's challenging, but it's awesome. And I, I'm pretty proud of that. You should be. The, the program that you've put in place is really robust. And uh, I really appreciate the way that you keep track of all of these different tentacles. And that's one of the areas I think, Colleen, that you've probably seen on the other side of is the city manager really pushing that we're not siloed and that we all interact. Because previously, in the police did their grants, fire did their grants, planning did their grants, and now it's all much better integrated into how we're all going to work forward on supporting those grants. Correct. What keeps you? I would say uh, I just think my job is fantastic. And I have a great boss who has always let me make the job my own, you know, um, and I doesn't breathe down my neck. Um, He knows and trusts that I'm going to do the right thing. And yeah, I guess it's just a great place to work. So if you had whether a crystal ball you want to see in the future, or if you have the dictator's thumb and can create the future, what are some of the things you'd like to see the uh, the city side, and I don't mean the community, but the, the municipal corporation, what would you like to see us work on, improve, or continue to invest in? So we recently updated our purchasing code. I'm I'm anxious to see how well the departments take that and it should be better because it's increasing limits that were we were stifled with. The department could only spend up to $1,000. That goes up to $3,000 soon. I'm, I'm anxious to see how they react to that and work with that and 
not just that threshold, but other thresholds have increased too in different purchasing procedures. So in your crystal ball, continuing to be innovative and thinking about how we can keep trending as opposed to stick with purchasing plans from 2005. Right, exactly. Or even earlier. Yeah, I mean, the $1,000 limit has been, been in place for, since all three of us have been Exactly, here. yes. And, yeah. and we've heard many times over the years, it's too low, it's too low. And checking out other you know cities in the New Hampshire area, we are. It's pretty low. So $3,000 is going to be a huge help to them, I think, to get their every day-to-day things done without having to come through our office. And $3,000 today is probably $1,000 when that number is Right, started. yeah. <laughs> Colleen, how about you? What, what sort of thing would you either like to prophesize that we do or demand that we take on? It's hard looking at just my office because I yeah, don't shouldn't. just look at my office, you know. Um, but if I looked at a whole from standing back, I guess the, when the new people come on, they learn how each office works a little bit more uh, because it's hard to know with the growth that we've had, exactly what office does what, what person does what, it would be nice for them to to visit and see how everything's me- everything meshes together. Yeah, it, it's interesting when you raised that. My first thought was, I wonder what the employee orientation program is like now, because it's been so long since any of us went through any version of it okay. that it'd be curious to see what HR. I assume they're going to focus on the the payroll benefits, the the sort of mechanics of how you work here. But you're right, having an understanding of who does what and how we interrelate with each other and and how we can rely on each other to get stuff done uh, would be a really good way to indoctrinate the new employees in the culture we have Mm -hmm. and our uh, mission, vision, and values. As we wrap up, we always ask people what three things they like about the community or in my mind, it's what makes Dover Dover. So it can be a place you like to visit. And I recognize that not everyone that asks we ask this question to lives here, but places that you like to visit, ideas that you like, things that you like. Instead of having you each do three, I'd like to ping pong it. And one of you can start, the other one take one, and then you can fight over who gets the third. Or I know it's a shock, but you could each do two if you wanted to. Uh, I would say it would be... Uh, for me, I see a sense of community. Um, there's a lot of people that come together to try and get things done. I think that's probably the biggest thing that sticks out to me. For me, I would say, and this kind of goes to the community and to work, the the work-life balance. We, I, tend to put work above everything else. And I I struggle sometimes with finding that balance. So I think we need more maybe group employees going out for drinks after <laughs> work or, um, you know, the social life, the social mixed with the work. And there's plenty of places in Dover to go out and socialize. Yeah. So I I would love to have that happen more often. I think the three of us should take that on <laughs> as a, uh, a committed goal for 2023. Yes. We'll improve. We'll go back to the way it was in 1998. Because... <laughs> There, were, I do remember, and I, Colleen, you and I have talked about this before. It was before we all had kids of a certain age, and now that we've gone through that, because as we all know, there's a certain point where you have to focus on right. kids and their extracurricular activities, so you can't say, hey. Um, the other thing I, I tend to wonder about that is, and this is a change that none of us mentioned but has occurred, is 
I think when all three of us started, it was eight to four. And so you got done at four and you could go and maybe get home at, at dinner time. You know, when we switched first on Wednesdays and then other days, you know, when you're, when you're at work till six, it's a little bit different to uh, have some of those post workday events, but I think challenge accepted. <laughs> Let's figure out how to, uh, to be more team building in our uh, social aspects. Great idea. For sure. We'll get Mike Gillis on that. <laughs> He's usually part of it anyway. He's coordinator. Any, uh, anything you'd like to leave the listener with? No, I, I, we're always looking for um, new employees. So hop on to Workable and apply. It's a great place to work. I love working for the city. I, I, I didn't get rich. I'm not a millionaire, but I had a comfortable living and looking forward to retiring in many years to come. I was going to say, it started out as a, I'm pulling the pen right now. And then it morphed into, you're never getting rid of me. Well, you may not. Well, I appreciate you both taking time out of your schedules to come in this uh, today and uh, record with us and tell the listener what it's like or what you found it to be like to work here for the past 25 years. Thank you for your time, your efforts, and I appreciate you being here. Thanks, Chris. Thank Have you. Have a great day. You too. You too. With almost 400 years of history, Dover's got a lot to tell. Up next, Mike Gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week. In 1920, if you visited the Kachiko Cotton Mills in Dover, you might have noticed a friendly old man wearing a straw hat at the Central Avenue entrance. He greeted everyone with a smile and a nod and knew the names and faces of thousands of workers who passed through his gate. His name was William Riley Clark, known simply to everyone as Riley, and he had been working for the same company for 60 years, with only a brief interruption to serve his country during and after the Civil War. Riley was not just a loyal employee, he was also a living legend. He was the fifth generation of Clarks who had worked in the Kachiko Mills, dating back to his grandfather and father, both named Jonathan. His sons and grandsons had also followed in his footsteps, but he was the only one still in the job at the mills. He started working in the Kachiko printery when he was only 11 years old, making boxes for 33 cents a day. He learned the ropes from Wells Waldron, a master box maker who taught him everything he knew. When he was 15, he felt the call of duty and enlisted in the Stratford Guards, a local militia that guarded Fort Constitution in Portsmouth Harbor during the Civil War. After the war, he joined the Coast Artillery and spent three years at Fort Vancouver in Washington Territory, where he helped protect an Indian reservation. He came back to Dover in 1870 and resumed his work in the mills, where he tried his hand at weaving, dressing, and spooling. He was good at his work, but he had a special talent for dealing with people. That's why Agent Zimri Wallingford appointed him as gatekeeper in 1883. He saw five different agents come and go, but he always remained faithful to the company and its workers. Riley loved his job and his city and said he had no plans to retire anytime soon. He had a large family to support and to be proud of. He and his wife Mary had 12 children. One of his great-grandchildren... Clifton Call, was killed in France during World War I. Riley honored his great-grandson's memory by wearing his Sawyer Post badge on his mill uniform. In a profile of Riley that appeared in a local newspaper this week, in 1920, it was said he never took much time off, except for the occasional week during the fall fairs. 
In fact, it was so rare that he took time off, the local newspaper reported later that year that he was planning a two-week vacation to visit one of his sons in New York. The following year, in 1921, Riley would see his office at the Milliard entrance remodeled and expanded. The new space included a lounge area and smoking room. Riley was said to have painted his desk and chair, and even his straw hat, to match the color scheme of the new office. He would retire later that year, and just two years later, in 1923, William Riley Clark died at age 74 and was laid to rest at Pine Hill Cemetery in Dover. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, this is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Downloads email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week.